Scripture reading today is out of the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans, chapter 4. Uh, and while you're turning there, I wanted to recognize a few folk who did some cool stuff this last week. Uh, if you are under the age of 18 and showed an animal at the Gratz Fair, would you stand up a sec? There's at least two of them back there that I need to see standing. <laughs> These two guys, I got to go out and see this. the first time I've ever done it. And that was a whole lot of fun, and they did a fantastic job. Waylon got second in your class, is that right? And Wade, I think, got third in his class. Both of them made a little bit of money yesterday, so go ahead and give them a hand. Good job, guys. That's a decent amount of work putting it. You can sit. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> wait still. Any time I can sit would be great. Uh, but they did fantastic. They put a lot of work into these animals, and I, I don't have to tell you guys how much, how much they, they put into them. And uh, they did a fantastic job. And there's one other person we need to recognize. I don't know if you all knew this. You probably did because you probably saw it on Facebook, that there is royalty in our midst. <laughs> Natalie. Campbell, go ahead and stand. This is Gratz Fair Queen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Gosh, she didn't even stand as long as Wade did. That was quick. She's been in the spotlight the whole week. I understand it. I get it. But how much did you have to put into this? There was at least an essay, a speech, some questionnaire kind of thing, and you beat out like six other girls in a battle royale, I think. I think that's how it went. Yeah. And I'm also told you got to ride the sled during a tractor pull. How dangerous is that? It wasn't even during youth group. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, but fantastic. Congratulations again. That's, uh, that's uh, youth in our church doing some amazing things out here, guys. So uh, just wanted to be able to recognize them. And speaking of youth, we have youth group tonight. 6.15 to 8 is normal. Uh, if you are in that age range, 7th grade up through 12th, we'd love to have you. We'd love to welcome you. Uh, come on out. Um, we're having ourselves a good time. So, scripture reading. In chapter 4 here, we're reading the first eight verses. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record the Lord has cleared of sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for clearing our record of sin. Lord, we thank you for clearing our record, even though we haven't done anything for it, Lord, that you have paid the entire price for us. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for your gospel. Lord, I ask that you would bless this service today. Bless Pastor Doug as he comes to bring your word. Let his words be yours and let us be ready to receive them, Lord. Lord, bless those who are here. Bless those who are at home. Bless those who are in the hospital right now, Lord. Um, bless anyone who would 
listen to this sermon later this week or later this month or even year, Lord, that uh, we would all just be blessed by your words today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul our god there is no one like you storms come and go problems exist and sometimes don't seem to cease. Heartbreak, sorrow, at times seem to be our best friends. For we can't in any way walk by ourselves. So I ask, O oh Lord God, this morning as we engage ourselves in this glorious chapter that sets things in order. And first of all, may we praise you, for it is by your grace by which we are saved through faith. Secondly, may we be encouraged to know that we don't walk alone. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And they're all yelling at us, all cheering us on. Saying the same grace by faith that was afforded to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. All of the prophets is still available and still active today in what is known as the church age. Let us access it. Let your presence and your grace through faith become our travel companions as we walk this road of faith. And as we gather around your word, may you gather us in the presence of who you are. And we'll praise you and thank you in your name.
the Lord God of heaven, through Jesus Christ, his son. And by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I don't say these things to puff myself up, but at least my Sunday mornings begin at about 3 o'clock in the morning. That's when I get up. I can't stay in bed because my sermon is rushing through my mind. There's times when I pray the Holy Spirit doesn't change it. Because then it's study time all over again. But this morning, um, I, I believe it's imperative that I share with you some things and needs as we pursue what we feel God is leading us to do. The first thing is this. Our, our evening prayer meeting at Tuesday, this Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, we've met in a number of different locations of the building. Most recently, we've been meeting in my office, but this, this Tuesday morning, or evening, excuse me, I wonder about we're going to meet here in the sanctuary. The reason being is that I believe that's based upon four records in the Gospels where Jesus is commenting after he cleans out, if you will, the temple. He says, my father's house is a house of prayer. Not the pastor's office, not the middle room, the house in reference to the sanctuary. Coming into the sanctuary Tuesday evening, I believe carries with it a, a better understanding of whose presence we will be in instead of meeting in an office that is engaged with a tropical fish known as Sharky. It's better to be here than in there. So this Tuesday evening, we're going to meet in the sanctuary to come before the Lord and seek his face in order that we may do his will. The second thing I want to at least speak to you about is proceeding in what we feel the Lord is leading us to do there are certain portions of ministry that require some of you to become involved. We're going to go to the second service beginning next Sunday. We're not doing that to please anybody. 
We are doing that because the board literally believes that that's what the Lord wants us to do. In that, we're going to need some more volunteers. Because there will be the need of nursery for second service and also to help in children's church second service. As well as PowerPoint and soundboard. Some of you may be thinking, why, why didn't we put all of this in place even before we determined to discuss having a second service? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because instantly I'm drawn to Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6. In fact, let me encourage you to turn there, if you will. This is not the sermon, uh, but I think this is important. Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6. Hearing the rustling of the papers tells me you're not quite there, so I'll take a sip of tea. As introduction, we're told in Joshua chapter 1 that God speaks to Joshua and tells him, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. I'm going to give you this land. And when you get to chapter 5, specifically when you get to chapter 5 and verse 13, is where Joshua and the children of Israel meet their first obstacle. It's known as the city of Jericho. What I find interesting in the close of chapter 5 and the introduction of chapter 6 is that Joshua didn't have all the information. He didn't have any, he didn't have a plan. He really didn't know how it was all going to come about. All he knew was what God said, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to drive out nations that are contrary to the word of God and to the nation of Israel. And I'll be with you. That's all God said at the time. And now Joshua, I, I can envision him being on a slight hill as it overlooks this city of Jericho, a massive city, by the way that used to have chariot races on top of the wall. It was that wide. Chariot races that had five chariots side by side. It was that wide as they raced around a wall that encompassed about between a six and a 10 mile radius. And Joshua was standing there. And I wonder, just maybe, if I get an opportunity after the first two million years to go to Joshua and say, what were you thinking that day? 
I wonder if maybe he would answer. I just wondered how it was going to get done. I had no plan. But the text tells us that as Joshua is there, he sees someone else. He's not for sure who that individual is because he asks him an interesting question. We're told that this individual was standing in front of him and he had a sword that was drawn, ready for fight. And Joshua asked this individual, are you for us or are you against us? This particular individual, interestingly, replies, wrong question. I'm not for you, and I'm not for the others. The question is, are you for me? That's the question. And then this individual begins to explain to Joshua who he is. I believe it to be a pre-incarnate, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The question that Joshua had to struggle with and come to realize is the fact that it's not who God is for. It's for who we are for God. And the soldier explains to him, I am the commander of the Lord's army. You want to see power, then you come face to face with the commander of the Lord's army. He's the one who can speak it. And all of heaven will release a flurry of angels to do battle. It won't last long either. My mind quickly goes from here to Revelation chapter 19. When the king of the Lord's armies comes again. And this time he speaks. And the battle's done. This leader of the Lord's armies... As he stands there, Joshua asks him the second question. What do you want me to do? I think that question is relative to the task that was at hand. How are we supposed to do this? What do you want me to do? The individual told Joshua the first thing you need to do is worship. Take your sandals off. The place that you're standing is holy ground. Joshua fell to his face and worshiped. We're not told how long he stayed there. We're not told as to what even Joshua said or even what Joshua did, did he sing Did he take an offering? What what did he do? 
We're not told. We're only told that he worshiped. And then in chapter 6, the early verses of that chapter, in verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers over to you. March. Go. Do as I tell you to do. It's more than a frilly children's story. It's a command directly from the king. And he said, march. Do it. If you're looking for a sign of our present day, Nike, just do it. One time, walk around the city for six days, one time a day. Don't say anything, just march. Come seventh day, seven times. And on the seventh time, shout. And watch what God will do. You see, what needs to begin in order to see the working of God, sometimes God wants to see what we'll do. In order to see or sense the power of God in accomplishing what he wants to do, sometimes he's asking us to do something. Joshua got the information after he worshiped. No, we don't have all of things in line and planned out for the second service. All we know is God's told us to have it. So we're going to march. And in order to call down and to have the presence of God's power in our midst, I believe he's putting us on a test. Will we do it? We don't have our part-time worship leader yet. We don't have all of the nursery people yet. We don't have all of the junior church people yet. We don't have all of the PowerPoint or the soundboard people yet. But I want to see the power of God. So we're going to march. That's when it comes to you. Joshua knew he was supposed to march. And he told the other people, uh, and this is the plan. How would you like as the leader of a nation to come and say, we're going to walk around this? What? Yeah. We're going to walk around. That's all we're doing. Six days. We're going to come right back here at night. Next morning, get up. We're going to do it again. Six days. Seventh day. Praise time. 
Get it going. And God moved. Next Sunday, praise time. God's going to move. Now the question is, do you want to be a part of it? That's the question. Do you really want to be a part of it? I'll let you stew on that for a week. See what God has. Romans chapter 4. When we went from chapter 3 to chapter 4, I thought for sure when Pastor Steve said turn to chapter 4 of Romans, there would have been a hallelujah, we're moving. Yeah, we are. Chapter 4 of the book of Romans settles a very crucial and important theological truth. And it's this, how is an individual declared by God to be righteous? It's the theological position known as justification. How is an individual saved? In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 5, it says in these words, How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? And chapter 4 of the book of Romans tells us how. When citizens travel overseas, they need a passport to enter another country. The passport must be stamped by the proper authorities with an approval insignia giving the person access to enter the country. No passport, no entrance, unless you're coming from South America into the United States. Oh, that's, another, that's for another time and another sermon. But in order to enter heaven, a person must have a passport that is stamped by the proper authority of God with the approval insignia, which is the blood of Christ. No passport, no entrance. Romans chapter 4 directs us to the proper passport into God's heaven. The Apostle Paul has presented his case in the previous chapters and verses of Romans that all are sin. For the no one, he says, seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 3.23. 
But yet now the Apostle Paul begins to give hope in the midst of hopelessness. For now he begins to describe this glorious truth of being declared righteous by a holy God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In the opening eight verses, he uses two Old Testament examples. Both of both Abraham and David would have been held in high regard of the Jewish nation. Abraham being the father of the Jewish nation, David being the king of all Israel. And yet both of them came to an understanding and to an agreement of what Paul is trying to convey to us, even here at this time. The argument begins as David, or as the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What happened to Abraham that all of a sudden the Apostle Paul would use him as the opening of the argumentation for the glory of God? This morning, if you have your study notes, that's fine. If, if you wish to take a nap, I'll be finished in about 15 minutes. But, but I want to... Go and give at least four things that the chapter four of Romans is speaking about. In verses one to eight, it says, Righteousness is provided by faith, not by works. Now, we just need to stop here for a few moments. Uh, Miss Diane, these notes may be applicable for next week too. I don't know what God's doing here. But to understand the proper theology known as soteriology, the study of salvation, you must know the three aspects of salvation. First is justification. The definition is of justification is being declared by God not guilty. Being declared by God righteous through Jesus Christ by grace through faith. It is a past, if you will, declaration once and for all, never to be rescinded. When an individual is justified by God through faith, that individual is guaranteed a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The verse that I would put with this is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been, past tense, saved. Past tense. Declared righteous by a holy and glorious God 
through the finished work of Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. The second part of salvation is sanctification. And the problem is, in our present day Christianity, society, if you will, is if they say, well, you're not living the way we want you to live, so that means you haven't been saved. Wipe that from your mind. If an individual has been declared righteous by God, justified, that's never rescinded once and for all. Sanctification is the growth of a lifelong pursuit after the glory of God. And it's done by the same way, by faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 is a proper verse. It says, for the preaching of the cross to those who are being Saved. Present tense. It's not foolishness. It's glorious. It is the very power of God. It's a lifelong pursuit. You never retire from. You never come to the end of it. You never go beyond where you can't be formed into the image of Christ. That's what sanctification means. Being set aside for the very purpose of God. Being fashioned after him. As we're told in Romans later on in Romans chapter 8. To being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. Do we all do it at the same time, in the same way, and at the same speed? No. Do we all have certain holdups? Do we all have certain things we trip on? Someone help me. Yes. But in that process of sanctification, we can be secured in knowing that God has never thrown us to the curb. And then there's one more. Glorification. Oh, if you're like me, that's the one I'm waiting for. That's going home. That's the one where we shall be saved. Future tense. Past, present, future. If you're looking for a verse to support that, First Peter chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Let me read those verses for you. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in this world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, kindness, and knowledge. Going home. 
being ready to go. Point number one. We'll be able to get through point number one. Here we go. Righteousness is provided by faith, not of works. The Apostle Paul uses two Old Testament patriarchs as examples in these verses. During the time of this writing, the rabbis really believed and they taught that Abraham had a surplus of of merit from his works that was available to his descendants. Paul built on that idea, assuming that Abraham was justified by works, but the text tells us in verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But Paul insisted his boasting could not be before God. For he goes on to say, what do the scriptures say? Whenever you come up with an idea or whenever you come up with a a purpose of life, I trust that you're Searching the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say? Don't go according to your own wants or to your own mindset. Seek out what it is that God is saying. To understand what the scriptures are saying in this particular situation, you need to go back to Genesis chapter 15. Let's travel back a few centuries. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. 15 and see what the scriptures have to say concerning Abraham in this situation. Genesis chapter 15. You might all know that in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram to leave his home and go to a place that I will show you. In between chapter 12 and chapter 15, Abram took a detour. And God protected he and his wife Sarai so that they would be, continue to be a part of God's blessing. In chapter 14, David, or Abram meets Melchizedek. All we know about him is he's the king of peace, the king of Salem. And it is there that Melchizedek blesses Abram. It's after the war, it's after the time of when Abram went and rescued his nephew Lot. And the king of Sodom wanted to give Abram a bounty for his rescue. Abram said, no, I don't want anything from you. Because I don't want you saying that you've made me rich. 
I'm just going to be satisfied with God. Then it says, after these events, chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward would be very, very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. When the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 is developing this argument, he's literally saying, Did Abraham get the blessing from God because of something he did? No. It was not by works. Abraham or Abram at this time didn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. All he did was believe. Believe God. Then it says God accounted that to him for righteousness. Too often we get all tied up. We're trying to figure it out what it is that I can do for Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing that you can do for Jesus if you haven't first believed. You must By grace through faith, believe that what Jesus did in the death, burial, and resurrection was enough to be justified by God, declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 opens up in the book of Romans with that glorious dedication Therefore, being justified freely in Jesus Christ. The argument is settled. Are you striving for heaven's gates by what you can do? You've got the wrong passport. What you need is Jesus. Paul would be here today, and in a way he is, he's... The word is still alive today, and he's saying, it's not of works. Abraham, all he did was believe. Have you trusted in Jesus? That's the question. How can we be saved if we're still in our sins? Nothing but the blood. 
of Jesus. Do you know him? Stop fooling yourselves. All the scriptures have to say is, do you believe in what Jesus did? Satisfied the requirements of God. If you haven't, oh, don't leave today until you do. Let's pray in closing. God, our Father, it's through the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we come to you understanding that the access to you, our Father, comes through him, your Son. I pray, O oh God, that this morning, if there would be anyone here today who has never trusted in you, who has never believed, who has never come to you like Abraham and gazed up and said, I believe. Oh Lord, I pray that this would be their day, that they would trust in you. Stir in our hearts, oh Lord God. Stir in our hearts that we would search our hearts to see if we've been declared by God to be righteous. And if we can't answer that question, then, O oh Lord, may we be like Joshua and throw ourselves to the ground and plead for your cause. May we be like David and said, Lord, search my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Grant these things, O oh Lord God, as we are dismissed from this assembly, but not from your presence. May your spirit continue to work throughout this day. We'll thank you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.